0: cabin fever is setting in and it's time to start planning for the new world of the event industry where it's all about surviving and not necessarily about profit this week on tournament talk. This is the Tournament Talk podcast, where your hosts, Tyler
1: Childs and Sean Sinclair are on a mission to help you make sense of the tournament world, save you time and money by helping you make all the right decisions to streamline and maximize your tournament business, team, club, or lifestyle. Let's get down and start winning at everything.
0: Welcome back to Tournament Talk. I am joined again, as always, by Sean Sinclair. Uh welcome to the pandemic quarantine version of tournament talk here, Sean. I, I see your trampoline in the background. I assume you're staying fit. Absolutely, 150 reps in the morning. We'll we'll get it right. We're staying fit, losing what's weight. The, what's the weight restriction on that thing? <laughs> definitely less than I weigh absolutely (laughs) yeah I I feel like in in different times there's maybe like a half a case of beer that goes into like hey jump on a trampoline that's a good (laughs) idea and then broken toy children's are sure yeah
1: Yeah. spending more money on the kids Yeah, we got to replace this (laughs)
0: that's right yeah so I'm sure it keeps them busy though in terms of like wearing off some energy because I got to imagine that's top of the priority list is how do I make these children nap
1: there's music on this one too though so they bounce more and it plays music i don't know it's a, it's a rough trade off <laughs> <up.
0: laughs> yeah that's too funny yeah i know um i'm i'm at the point now where i'm i'm completely done with quarantine i mean i was done with it on day 1 but at this point like i'm just ready to to shut it down in a big big way so um let's dive into what's next i know we've talked a little mm-hmm. bit about it in other episodes and different things we've done Uh, We talked on the cure for COVID about different budgetary things that we were going to be working on. Um, But really, let's let's look at the event side, because I think, you know, there's a lot of event owners that are in limbo right now and they don't really have uh, a clear path forward. And I, I think a lot of people are wanting to operate in the status quo in terms of what was happening before the pandemic. And, you know, we've spent a lot of time talking about this, that that may or may not be the right move. And this is certainly not going to be uniform advice for every group out there, but we're going to try to cover as much as we can, uh, that, that plays for all of these groups. So, you know, from, from your perspective, Sean, do you want to maybe talk about the, the two things that, that we're going to talk about today that we think are the, the big components moving ahead here?
1: Yeah, I think, you know, the, the number one thing is, you know, geographically, what is, uh, you know, what are your tournaments looking like? Right, you know, with you know all the states having their own regulations, you know, we're here in Canada, uh, it may be provincial. Um, the way teams travel may just look different here, right? That's going to be a big one, uh, and so something that you know your your showcase teams and you know the tournaments that you normally attend, they may end up looking completely different by the time you get there if that happens this year. Right. I mean, that's going to be one of the, you know, the biggest things that you know, teams and coaches and, and tournament directors have to make sure that they wrap their heads around. And then getting more specific, we're going to look at what does that actual tournament look like once you get there? Right. We've had all this history of a tournament. Maybe it's a long term established tournament. Is that going to look the exact same this year? Uh, probably not. Right. Yeah. So we'll, that's a, yeah, we'll get into that for sure.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. I think those are thing, the two main points. And I know as members of the travel industry, we talk about what that ramp up is going to look like. You know, hotels are in some locations completely closed. A lot of your full service properties have just shut down because it doesn't make sense for them to operate those big buildings with all of the food and beverage attached when they don't have anyone really to serve. So um, ultimately there's going to be travel restrictions that uh, are going to Uh, impede some of the ramp up. And I think, you know, trying to find those timelines is going to be tricky. And I think there's still problems that have yet to be solved at this point in time. And there's hotels that um, have made decisions on their business versus how it's going to impact yours. So ultimately, these are the things we're going to touch on today. So let's dive right into the geographic restrictions. What's the big concern here, Sean? I know um, you talked briefly about it earlier here. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. Sorry.
1: Yeah. No. I think just the biggest concern is you know a lot of these larger tournaments are pulling teams from multiple states or multiple provinces, even you know country to country, right? If we're close enough to the border, or if you're a big enough event. Now that you know we're hearing some talks about getting back, right? Georgia's back. uh, Alabama has some you know potential uh, recommendations that they may try and go back soon, and you know there's a list of a few. And then some are just, you know, not even entertaining that idea yet, right? So those tournaments that are pulling multi-state or multi-province teams are not necessarily going to be able to get those same teams, right? So if you had, uh, you know, 500 teams from, you know, six different states and three of those states have, you know, no ability to travel, your tournament is now going to look a heck of a lot different.
0: Yeah. yeah, It's definitely going to be interesting to see the way people recruit and sell teams uh, in in the post uh, COVID era here. And it's definitely something that you need to address internally in your organization. I mean, there's certain organizations out there that are kind of cookie cutter events. You just show up, everything runs as normal and as expected. But on the flip side of that, uh, there's lots of events and, and a lot more probably on the US side of the border than the Canadian side that do live and die by the sales approach and the relationship that they've developed with that coach, uh, how you handle the ramp up here will drastically impact that relationship. So you need to be really careful with what that looks like. You need to understand that their budgets are going to change and Mm -hmm. what that's, that's going to mean two things that I think are really important in this conversation. Um, The potential for less travel. Now that'll be different by sport and by, you know, region and just the basic socioeconomic status of the group that you're attracting to your event. So keep that in mind. On the lower end, you're gonna see far less travel. On the higher end, and you'll probably just see a smaller tick down. Um, And in a lot of those groups that are playing at the highest level, usually there's a large budget attached to those things. So, you know, the reality is those people that can afford those things probably won't have as much of an impact from a cost perspective they may have a higher impact of, I don't want my kid to go right now. Right. So there will be a balance and trade off of all of those things. But at the end of the day, it would be naive to say that you you would expect travel to stay exactly where it is, because as you're saying, you're going to have regional restrictions, uh, at least in the short term. And ultimately, uh, people just are going to be a little cautious coming back to this. So.
1: Yeah. I think you- that's a big one that I, don't know if any, uh, enough people are talking about is okay so the government says we might be able to go back the tournament's running and the team's back in order but you know if i have grandma living at our house who's maybe at a higher risk then there's no way i'm you know letting my kid go out and, and play and just be around that much more potential exposure right and i think there's yeah. going to be lots of cases um where the, yeah they're just you know parents are individually deciding that hey i know you love the sport i know this is what we want to do we just can't yet
0: Right. Yeah, And I totally agree. I think it's going to be really interesting to see the social feedback from all of this and just
1: mm.
0: how people react, because it's going to be different everywhere. I know there's regions in North America right now that have completely empty hospitals, right? Because people are afraid to even go to the hospital to get checked in the first place. Right? Yeah. So it's a really interesting debate. We could pull at that for hours. We have yeah. pulled at that for hours. <laughs> uh, we're talking about just travel restrictions. And I yeah. think you know, the one thing you you touched on is distance traveling is definitely going to be the one that's hit the hardest. So if you do not have a base of regional teams, you need to be very cautious of how you're pushing your events out, right? If you're used to pulling three, four, five states into your market, the reality is that's probably not going to happen. And if you're West Coast based, it's probably going to be even sharper for you because there's some heavier um areas that have been hit really hard on the west coast right new york obviously has been hit hard but pretty much up and down the west coast they have been a lot more cautious than a lot of the rest of the united states so keep that in mind in terms of how you're planning because uh it's it's going to be important moving forward because air travel even long-term ground travel is definitely going to see some major, major shifts here. So um, anything that you see that's kind of along those lines, Sean, that's maybe outside of that perspective.
1: I mean, just kind of, you know, piggybacking on that is, you know, the the way that these tournament directors have traditionally sold their events, um, you know, they're just going to have to keep in mind that you may have to change up your sales strategy to now attract more, say, state teams or local teams or someone who is able to travel, right? And it may be a completely different message. If yours was a you know, high-level sh- you know, showcase, uh, Northwest you know, showcase event, that may not be a you know, feasible sales pitch anymore, right? Yeah. So it may maybe have to be something completely different. And I think you can probably communicate it as, hey, this is what we're doing this year, right? Yeah. You may not have attended this event for X, Y, and Z in the past. I understand from your state or your area, we can travel. You can't travel to, you know, the next state over for, you know, uh, different regulations, but come on down. This is what we're doing this year for everyone who is able to play, right? And yeah. it can be like a, a short-term message like that, I think.
0: Totally, and, and I think there's so many creative things that people could do around the conversation um short and long term like there's there's some great ways to add some long term value in terms of you know just making sure that you're not just looking to how do i get back up and running right now but how do i build a multi event sales pitch right like mm-hmm. you can provide value by by extending their purchase and especially if you've always relied on on regional teams Uh, it's a great way to make sure you're securing those people because your competitors are going to come after them. There's no questions about that. So, you know, find ways to secure them for more events because if they were traveling to other events in other regions, they might not want to do that. So, you know, find a great way to, to secure more local. And I think you'll see a lot of success as a result of that. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I think, you know, you're right. And, once a coach or an organization understands, you know, what's great about that, you know, tournament director or their series of events, it becomes way easier to sell them on the next event.
0: Yeah. right. I totally so, agree. You know, if,
1: if they have a good experience, of course, right? But, yeah. you, know, if, you know, if you have that database and you have that relationship and you're like, hey, now we're running this type of event and it's going to attract them this year, put on a great event, you know, meet them again, then next year they're going to choose yours over that other one, All right, The next yeah. state over.
0: Well, and I, I couldn't agree more. And I think ultimately that's, that brings us right into our next point, which is that relationship piece. And one of the things that I think is going to happen in, in if you're a tournament director out there, you need to listen to this because I think a lot of people in and, and hotels, this applies for them as well too. A lot of people are going to come out of this and try to make some money back. And you can do two things here. You can play the short term and try to make up for short term losses, or we can do what's probably best for the industry and play the long game here. And that's ramping up to, uh, making up some of that money that that has been lost. So as much as we're cognizant of it, it's certainly impacted our business. Uh, it's impacted many businesses out there, but the travel industry as a whole has been hit extremely hard for obvious reasons. And as a result, there's going to be a trickle down of people trying to make up COVID money that they lost. And that's a dangerous game. So families, teams, you know, et cetera, are also going to be operating on short-term budgets, either uh, seasons that have been shortened or they just frankly have less people wanting to pay money or people are struggling. So there's going to be a whole bunch of variables to this conversation. But what that's going to mean is the teams are in all likelihood going to operate under tighter budgets for at least the next six to 12 months. And that'll vary across sport and, and region, et cetera. But it kind of brings you back to the event side, which is this is not the time to make all of this money back. I I get it. There's bills that have to be paid, but I think there's going to be a lot of events that make this mistake that they're trying to make more money um than they need to in these current times and now kudos to anybody that's seeing it the other way and is already ahead of this conversation but what's what's the thing that you're most concerned with in terms of team budgets and and when it comes to events
1: yeah it's that right there is the events not understanding that you know the the number of families who have also been affected and need to pull back their budgets right so yeah. you know totally you know uh, we have great world-class events out there and we want them to keep operating. Uh, but if you're trying to push the envelope and, you know, dig in a little bit more to, to these families and teams and try and make a little bit more and, you know, okay, we're adding this, but we're going to have to charge you a little bit more for it to kind of cover that gap on the event side. Well, none of these families are looking at us like, I don't have this, right? Yeah. Like, you know, I was off work for six weeks, eight weeks, my, you know, company shut down for six months. Like, You know, that's going to be a a lot tougher sell uh, as opposed to, hey, you know, the message coming from a tournament being we understand what happened. This is what we're doing to, you know, ease that burden on you uh, and really create that relationship so that, okay, we got them back in in 2020 or early 2021. You know, how do we make sure that they're always coming back 22, 23, 24?
0: Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And I, and I think, you know, we've talked about this all the time. We talk about value before profit. Uh, It's one of the hammering points of our whole, whole show. And now is the time to add value and adding value can happen two ways. You can either ramp costs back providing more value for what they get, or you can add things and adding things is tricky because there's usually a cost to that. But if you can add value by adding experiences and things that are low cost, That's going to be how you should approach maintaining expected budgets. Um, but if not, like there's going to have to be adjustments and exceptions to teams that are like, listen, I can't come at that price point and they're going to be negotiating. And frankly, in this current time, like event owners don't have any negotiating power right now. So you need to be conscious of that when you're setting pricing for post COVID era is how, what does that look like in my region? do I need to adjust my pricing or can I stay the same? Like these are real conversations that if you haven't had already, you need to be having. So um, it doesn't mean you have to shift and it doesn't mean you have to decrease your budget. I'm just saying you need to understand the implications of whatever decision you make and how that'll impact the short and the long term. And everyone will have a little bit of a different angle there and that's fine. Um, But just make sure you do that, that due diligence, you know how much we talk about value, you know how much we think value is more important than profit now is the time to kind of showcase that. So, you know, we've talked about a couple different things, like what's the opportunity in all of this, Sean, like, I know, you know, market market share regionally is the one that I'm thinking of is, is there another thing that you think uh, provides a really good opportunity for event owners right now?
1: Yeah, I think, you know, kind of coming back to some of these, uh, let's say a a more prestigious, a high level event um, that traditionally pulled from, you know, multi-states, I think the opportunity for some of the, let's say, small to medium size events is they can now maybe start to establish themselves in their own state or their own province um, because they were not able to pull from different provinces. So what I mean is, you know, if we have less teams uh, at a traditional event, I think the natural thought is that, you know, the the competition would be a little bit weaker um, and, you know, it's just not going to be as good as what they're used to. And that's probably true for the most part. Um, But I think there's an opportunity now, whereas a team that may have traveled all around the, you know, the country or the region to now just stay in their own state and play in some of these tournaments that they just traditionally wouldn't have right and you know there's lots of reasons why a team would elect to travel versus staying in state but if all of a sudden you have all you know some high level teams now staying home or you know driving an hour as opposed to you know a couple hours away you may actually see some of these events emerge as higher class uh more competitive events than they were traditionally kind of known for
0: yeah and i totally agree and i think grabbing some of that local market share is going to be one of the key opportunities right now. But I also think that at the end of the day, uh, we're looking at a scenario where you need to understand who is available to target, right? Mm -hmm. Because, Mm -hmm. you know, I think there's a lot of event owners that want that out of state functionality. They want to be able to chase big fish all the time. And ultimately when push comes to shove, you could be putting yourself at huge risk by investing all that time right now into that national opportunity because who knows how long it will be before they want to travel to your market or can travel to your market. And those are things that, that no one truly has a firm grasp on. doesn't matter whether you're an airline, a hotel, a local tourism agency, it doesn't matter. No one has those answers. And if anyone is telling you that they do, they are pulling wool over your eyes right now. So, just be cautious of who you're focusing your time on. Now there are events that are completely based around national uh, exposure and teams flying all over the country, and they're the ones that have the most unanswered questions right now, and that will probably stay that way for a couple weeks. Uh, so don't rush, don't panic. You just got to be patient if you're in that category, because it will come back. We just don't know when. And I, I hope most of you have you know, some rainy day funds that allow you to survive that time because you will have to wait and you will have to be the most patient of of the event community. So um, that's, that's definitely the thing. But to kind of summarize it, there will be travel restrictions. Teams will be on tight budgets and they will be pushing. They will have negotiating power. They will want to use it. They always want to use it. Um, just sometimes they don't have a leg to stand on. Now they kind of do because they know that in all likelihood, your numbers are going to be down at some level. So you need to be prepared um, to handle that conversation. You need to have some script or, or general understandings of what you're going to reply with be consistent across the board. Um, And then ultimately focus on the opportunity to grab new market share for your business in a way that maybe you haven't in the past, but understand that those could have restrictions. Uh, now is the time to look at that and review everything within your business model. So that's kind of the end of that. So Sean, let's jump into the second topic here, which yeah. is what does an event look like when they do get there? So I'll let you take that on. Uh, and we'll go from there.
1: Yeah. So, you know, we've talked about this a lot. My wife is a, you know, competitive cheer owner uh, owns a competitive cheer team and organization. So uh, cheer comes up a lot in my house. Uh, <laughs> and that's an understatement and obviously you know her her business has been affected uh greatly because of this um missed out on the last competition of the season and uh you know can't get into the gym right now we're a couple weeks away i think from uh tryouts and moving into next year so there's a lot of unknowns what is what do those early you know uh Weeks look like, and you know, how do we start to build for some of those early events in the cheer season? Right. And that's kind of, you know, we're already looking at November events, and you know, how's that going to look like for their team? How do they structure their summer and their team placements based on these events that seem pretty far away? Um, Yeah. But you know, knowing and they're, you know, they're in conversations with their parents every day, right. And they, you know, they're talking to them, and there's a, you know, a good chunk of them who have been affected at some different level uh, because of the, say, you know, pandemic. Right. So they're looking at events and hoping that, you know, what I kind of touched on before is that they're not going to run into these events that are just going to run away with costs and, you know, push them to the point where they just can't attend. Right. Because it's all about the parents at the end of the day, right. these families have to pay for it somehow and you know so they're they're trying to make sure that whatever events that they're targeting to go to right now are in that boat of understanding what the parents are going through and making sure that they're trying to open you know as many doors and still keep as many teams coming to their events in the short term right so that's you know probably the the biggest worry right now is you know what do those early events look like and do the costs match what the the family's expectations are and what they're going to be?
0: Yeah, I agree. I think that budget budget conscious it. yeah budget conscious events are going to be the one that I think is the focus, right? Mm-hmm. I think that's going to be the earliest successful events in the post COVID era. I, I think we're really looking towards um, bigger events making some of those adjustments to fit that model because ultimately they're just not going to be able to afford multiple events throughout the year with that expectation. So, you know, I think it's a really yeah. good way to to move forward is, is if you're running events early in back to normality, uh, you need to be conscious of, of what your budget is, how it's impacting your traditional business. And is it something that I'm doing to just make money or am I doing it to get back to my business level that I expect, because I think, you know, from that, um, you should be looking to, to kind of not break even. It's not necessarily the right mentality, but to create some consistency again. And that's, that's where having a smart budget will help you get there. Now that said the expectation that I, I think can be kind of said is events that are going to be in the fall and into the new year, that are focused on the 2021 recruiting class, I think you're going to be a totally different animal because I think you're still going to see a lot of families and parents pushing to get their kids that education based off of their athletic ability and paying for that exposure is going to be a part of that conversation. So I do think you're going to see that. I know on last week's episode, I had Tom Bauer from KBC hoops uh, on, and he's got a pod with uh, Chris Lofton, a former Tennessee basketball player um, and it goes through what the recruiting process was like for him. And then ultimately Tom talks about what the last couple of weeks have been for him personally. He's handled a lot of phone calls where the coaches are calling him to ask like, Hey, I know you see these guys every week. Is he any good? Should I recruit him?" And that's what they're having to do right now for the 2020 class. But the 2021 class is a very different animal. And, and I think there's going to be a bit of a land grab there on the backside of this, but we're not there yet. And, and so it's just a thing that I think is gonna be outside of the most of the rest of the conversation we've had so far today. I just think that 2021 class is gonna be a really, really good sport tourism case study. Cause I think there's gonna be some really interesting components that come out of that prospect and we'll just kind of let it see where it goes. So that's the one group that I think is out there. But you know, the next thing that I think we see as an opportunity um, to increase value and simplify costs for you as an event owner, is moving from three days to two days, right? So if you're traditionally a Friday, Saturday, Sunday event, maybe Saturday, Sunday is the target, right? So those are yeah. things that you have to consider. And and Sean, you can talk about it from the team perspective. Like, what's the value proposition for that team?
1: Yeah, I, I mean, it's you know less days off work, most likely for a parent. Yeah. Uh, you know, probably one less day in a hotel, um, and less you know food costs, right? Yeah. And It should be, it should translate to a, you know, slightly reduced uh, tournament entry fee, right? If you're talking, you know, field rentals, officiating and all that, you know, if we have Friday, Saturday, Sunday, we're cutting out, I don't want to say a third because I don't think most are running all, day, Friday, but you know, who knows what the fixed costs are. Right.
0: So it it does two things though, right? Like you can, you can both reduce your cost or increase your profit margin. Right. So mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that's something when you're, when you're talking about budget changes, like play that balancing act, because you know, on the flip side of that, it doesn't change really the amount of work that goes in. Right. It just changes the cost of of running that event. So exactly, I, I think you could be a little conscious of that. Like you don't have to say, you know, discount a third or discount a quarter. No, but- no,
1: it, and it would never be a third, right? Because there's things that are, you know, just uh, across the board. But what I mean is, you know, a, a venue or, you know, something like that, that may charge for a full day versus a half day or something, yeah. right? I'm just going to, I'm saying I know Friday is not going to be, you know, exactly a third. So you're not going to see a third of the reduction in costs, right? But I totally. would hope that if traditionally I play, you know, a Friday night, Saturday, Sunday tournament, that there, I do see a little bit of a, a clawback in my entry fee um, if it's a Saturday Sunday event.
0: Yeah, right. And, and I, I think,
1: I... yeah, sir. I mean, I think as a you know parent in right now in the immediate future, you know, being affected by you know the pandemic and you know having people out of work, that you know these the eight o'clock games, uh, the early morning games, or st- sticking around a venue all night, which are typically not you know, received well, parents don't love them or anything like that, but they may be able to make that concession this year in order to save a little bit upfront.
0: I agree. Yeah. That's a, it's a great perspective. I, I do think that if you're on the team side and you are negotiating or you are expecting a discount, you need to understand that that's the trade-off, right? Yeah, if you're asking sure. an event owner to jam something into a smaller timeline, there certainly is going to be earlier mornings and later nights. That's just a, a given. I think a lot of people will be naive about that. And uh, yeah. so if you're an event owner, you're you're cringing right now, just thinking about those conversations, but you know, they happen. And, and from a team perspective, uh, don't be so naive to think that everything will stay the same if the profit or the, the revenues change. And we talk about this all the time. Like there's nothing wrong with making money. It's just a matter of balancing the, value versus you know the ask right and ultimately this is one of those conversations like you're asking the event owner to decrease their value to running the event therefore they're going to inconvenience you by combining some things that maybe were spread out for different reasons before so definitely just something to keep in mind as you you navigate a conversation like that which is great parlay into reducing the number of travel days and talk right about stay and play And this is a piece of the the travel conversation that is going to come up and it's going to be a hot topic, right? We have travel restrictions now. We will have some travel restrictions moving forward for at least the short term. And again, it could be state driven. Uh, I don't think we're going to see too much national oversight on this by the looks of it uh, outside of flights. And so with that, you're going to have to make some decisions as an event owner most people are going to say, listen, like if you want to come to my event, you got to stay in my hotel and that's them trying to drive revenue into their event. That's a mistake, right? Because if push comes to shove, they're going to say, listen, I'm going to go to an event that's not making me do that for right now because there's so much uncertainty. Okay. Now that said, it's not, there's nothing wrong with asking them to please be conscious of that when making their travel decisions. But if you're making them forcing them in this current climate to stay in a hotel you're asking for all kinds of trouble my personal opinion is that i think you will see an increase in the necessity for stay and play following this pandemic but i think that's probably 12 months away okay so in that shorter term where there's a lot of uncertainty i think it would be intelligent to ramp that back and i i just i feel strongly about that one we talk about it all the time in our building Uh, with our partners and our clients. When is the right time to offer a stay and play? When is the wrong time? This is the wrong time. Okay. Because it's automatically associated with you going after their money. Okay. Now it's going to be really, really hard saying all the things we just said about providing value to say, you have to stay in my hotel because it's valuable to you. If, if someone knows how to have that conversation, I want to hire you for our sales team. So <laughs> please, please come talk to me. But, but the reality is there is no right way to say that. So there is not currently somebody that could join our sales team, <laughs> um, but the end of the end of the day, like, I, I think that's the way this flexes. And I think ultimately the hotels are going to ask for help at some point. And as they should, because as we've said before, and as I've posted in other videos, the hotels did a real solid by the sport industry. Um, and I don't think enough people are are saying thank you to them at this point. And they're just kind of, um, you know, kind of playing it off. Like these are hard times. Reality is like they ate billions and billions and billions of dollars around the globe. And I don't think people truly understand the implications. I saw two posts really early on that one made me really sad and one made me really happy. The first one was the travel industry does not deserve a bailout um they've been making money for years blah 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 Uh, it's such an uneducated comment um the travel industry is actually extremely low margin and it's completely based on volume and the only way to attract volume is by doing good business so if you do good business you deserve good profit and so there's nothing wrong with that and to say that a government mandated legislative shutdown does not deserve some sort of support mechanism is completely uneducated that's the one that made me sad the one that made me really happy was a sign outside of a hotel it was like kind of one of those like bar sandwich signs and it had some chalk on it and it said um you know the band that was playing on the titanic as it sank we're that band right? <laughs> so it, was, it was a really really great way to kind of say like hospitality people are always for the greater good. And yes, sometimes that leads to profit. And yes, sometimes there's sales quotas that are impacting it and maybe don't come across the way it's designed. But at the end of the day, you do not work in hospitality if you don't care about the people experience period. It just, it doesn't make sense in a low margin industry. If it's not what you're after, you don't work in it. So, you know, that's something to be really conscious of, of moving ahead. And so to my point, full circle here, uh, the, the reality of it is, the hotels should be thanked and we should all thank them by trying to help them secure more business. So there's going to be partners that come after business to, to survive and you need to meet them head on by being good partners. So you need to make sure your hotel procedures and policies are really good. And again, we can help you with that. Feel free to to message us. Again, you can get Sean on all social platforms at Sport-Sean. You can get me at TourneyBoss. We're happy to help guide you through uncertain times because these are certainly that. And we spend a lot of time with our ear to the ground, talking to national uh, offices and regional offices about what they're doing, and then just staying close to, you know, local hoteliers uh, and learning about what's important to them. So these are all things that are part of the conversation around stay and play. Now, I just took up a whole bunch of airtime, Sean. What's your thoughts here on standplay? Give the team's perspective of way the way they're going to look at that.
1: Yeah, if uh, you know that event starts to say pull it back uh, is something they may they have traditionally done, but they pull it back for the near future, or we don't jump right in and say, hey, you have to save my hotels. I think that's going to be received very well. Uh, you kind of touched on it as you're forcing them to spend money, and it maybe the same deal that they get at a you know a different hotel or, or whatever, you may end up spending the same. But I think it's a little bit of psychology right now, too. And it's all exactly. about that choice, right? So we've decided to come to this event. That's great. We're, we're getting out there. We're getting our kids back in the sports. So we've made that decision. And I think for a lot of families, it's going to be a tough one. And I don't want to say it's like keeping up with the Joneses, right? But I think there's going to be a lot of families who are already – you know, in a pinch to even get back into the sport, but they know how much their you know, daughter loves the sport and, you know, they know how much it means to them. So, you know, we're, we're doing things, we're putting things on credit cards or, you know, you know, spending money that we may not really have yet just to get back to that uh, sport or attend a tournament. And then we're going to add on a stay and play. And it's just that psychology of like forcing you to spend some money that I just don't think is going to be received well in the near future.
0: I agree. And I, and I think most teams and correct me if you think I'm wrong here, most teams look at a stay and play model as the excuse to charge more for the hotels.
1: A hundred percent. It's a scam. It's, you know, uh, lining everyone's pockets. It's all that, right? Yeah.
0: Yeah. And and this is something that, you know, was one of the core reasons we've actually started this show is to discuss this conversation openly. What most teams don't realize is that the aggregation of volume actually leads to a discount. So by booking on their own and by being disorganized, they're actually driving the market rate up in almost every case because they're allowing salespeople to take a little bit more of that land grab every single time that they don't book through an aggregator. So it's, it's a very large misconception that, that teams have. Now, we've talked about it a hundred times. If you're booking a single room for just you, a one-off, yeah, you can probably save a little bit of money on a single room, but you're also going to get no refund. You're going to probably get the one that has the clogged drain. Uh, you're going to have those little in- intricacies and yeah, sure. You save five bucks, but you're not going to save five bucks next year because the market rate's is going to go up 10 and then your $5 yeah. discount is right where you would have spent last year instead of keeping rate the same or driving the rate down over time. So those are things that are part of that conversation. And it's, it's also why it's important now to keep teams coming back into hotels, right? Because Although you might take a small hit on what you make on the hotels this year by not maintaining that level of control, what you're going to do is do right by your hotel partners so that you can maintain that relationship moving forward and ask for things in return later. It is a relationship. The The hotels are still a business that you need to partner with and they are a business that most people forget about in our industry. They're like, no, no, the hotels are, are here to give us rooms. Well, they are, but there's a line and it's really, yeah. really obvious when when you cross that line. So you have to be really careful with that. Um, and, and and you have to be conscious of big rebates right now, right? Big rebates are, yeah. are not going to be well received. If that gets into the wind with your teams, like you are potentially going to see years and years of hard work unraveled. Uh, and ultimately, I do think on a totally different, more morality kind of conversation that this is a calling of the herd in terms of cutting down on some of those big rebates. So I'm not saying we have to, you have to eliminate all of them because frankly, if you're able to ask for large rebates in high economic times, in all likelihood, you should have been providing significant value to your hotel partners. So (laughs) the hotel partners will, and you need to be prepared for this. will push back on these big rebates out of this because they're going to say, listen. you're, you're in a position that you need us as much as we need you. um, But we're only going to do it under these terms. And so they're, they're also going to have the same conversation where they have to meet quotas and that's your negotiating point. So you have to meet in the middle. And so doing business the right way will matter more than ever in the next six to 18 months.
1: Yeah. And I think building on that, you know, we have some of these events who maybe are asking for large rebates now, and they have a track record of a, a very, you know, a uh, well attended event year after year, again, is that going to happen this year? And if you've kind of strong arms, your hotel partners into, you know, signing up for that same rebate or those same terms this year, and all of a sudden you don't deliver because of all these state restrictions and people being weary of travel and all that next year, come negotiating time, that's going to be a heck of a lot harder and you're going to lose a ton of partners for sure. Yep,
0: totally. Right. It is, it's the relationship piece of our business. We talk about mm-hmm. it a lot it's one thing to send them a bunch of business and then overlook the value uh, or not the value, but the relationship piece of the puzzle, right? Because money does talk. There's no questions about it. It's part of negotiating volume. Um, But at the same time, like if you're disrespectful of that and then you get into trouble times, like we're in, if you don't have that relationship, they're going to lean all over you instead of the other way around. And ultimately that's, that's the unraveling that we're talking about as a result of this stay and play conversation. So um, you're either going to potentially upset your hotels or upset your teams. And you need to find a consistent pattern based on what your event brings to the table. And that's where you need to be very conscious of what your event is, uh, who it's attracting and ultimately what that means for, for your business moving forward. So um, I know Sean, you, you mentioned earlier you you and your wife are obviously heavily involved in the cheer space. You know, why don't you kind of talk about some of the frills that you're expecting to be kind of rolled back a little bit moving forward? Yeah,
1: I think so. A lot of the conversations, uh, amongst the, you know, whether it's the organization owners or the event, you know, producers is it's still a bit of a question mark on exactly what may be pulled back. But I think, you know, if you don't know anything much here, it's probably one of the most extra, Frills, you know, uh, sports yeah. out there, right? We have, high high production, you know, <laughs> right? Like a lot <laughs> yeah, of video, like, lighting, video, a lot
0: of lighting, stuff that goes into
1: it. You know, photography. Um, you know, all the the swag, right? Blankets and you know, bling everywhere and everything like that. Everything that goes into a cheer event. So, my wife, she had been going to events for a number of years, and maybe I just don't remember going to a bunch. But I went, you know, a few years ago when my daughter started uh, competing. And it's just, it's mind blowing about how extra everything is there. Right. And that's great. And that's the sport. And that's what it's all about uh, because it's also as much as a sport, it is a judge sport and there's a performance aspect to it. So it's going to attract those type of people. Right. So, you know, some of those things, you know, whether it's, you know, the, the blankets or the t-shirts or the sweaters that are normally handed out, we might see some of those come back. Right. Um, you know, lighting and you know video production is all a big part of it but you know again that may come back or get you know pulled back a little bit right you know looking good and and the lighting and everything is great for video but it doesn't necessarily mean that that team is any less athletic or that that they're not performing as well as they could have without good lighting right? right so maybe instead of the you know the top package you know sound and and lighting and everything that goes into that maybe it's scaled back a little bit there's not as much going on um you know it's kind of hard to predict exactly what they're going to pull back because it's all part of the sport and it's all part of why people attend the the better run events is because it's a whole different experience right when you have all of those extras so i think the you know the event organizers who do put on those premier events are really scratching their heads and, and probably talking, you know, sun up to you know 2 a.m. <laughs> on and what can we pull back and still be the choice of our teams, as opposed to just the the local one who runs in you know a high school auditorium because that's all you really need is, is a floor and some judges. Right. right? So what's yeah. what's going on in the middle? Where are they going to land? Um, that's kind of what everyone's predicting and bouncing uh, between each other right
0: now. Well, we talked about it before we jumped on today, and, and really, the one of the things that we're hopeful to see because we feel strongly about it um, is a little bit of a of a focus on what youth and amateur sport is really supposed to be about, and that's the kids and their development, both physically and their personalities and their life skills around these things. That's that's what this is about, and you know there is a component of the business that is attached to that exposure level and and the professional ranks that are possible as you build a career around that. But at the end of the day, I think this, this time is allowing events specifically to focus on two things, their operations, uh, so efficiencies, costs, et cetera. Yeah. And, and two, what they can do to position themselves in a way that um, maybe sets them apart more so than they were thinking about it before. Because you know, there is going to be some land grab here and, and there's going to be a hundred different directions. And it's just a matter of how you want to play your cards that you have. And and I, I've talked to a lot of good event owners that are, are taking really strong approaches. And I've talked to some that just, they're just kind of throwing their hands up and saying, we're going to let the dust settle and see what happens at the end. And neither of those is wrong. You know, we talked about it in, in other shows, like you have to be one of two things. You have to be really aggressive or really passive right now. You cannot you know be one that's out of your character of your business and so that's really where this all plays out too but you know i i love to hear that like events that have high production value are starting to look at okay how do we run an event right because yeah whether our event is featured on youtube with great lighting or whether our event is just for the people that are participating i mean the answer is really obvious as to what's important so you know i i like to see that because when they ramp it back up to that, that production level at some point, whether it's six months or 18 or whatever, they're going to have that, that core component refined again. And if it's gotten away from them at any level, they're going to have a chance to just reset that, that operation in their business. And I'm, I'm excited to see businesses do that because there is some need for that in a lot of businesses in our industry, not all, right? But a lot of them have some of those little things that they need to get cleaned up Um, I was telling you, I I had a call just today with a good partner of ours who literally has, you know, pulled everything from their business and reviewed it top to bottom in this window. And they're a strong national caliber event. And ultimately, that's the right approach, right? Like the good businesses are doing that right now. And they're not waiting. They're just they're making plans for the future. So um, the reset is going to be really, really awesome. Um, I'm excited because survival of the fittest is Never been more true in our industry. And that's the thing. Is there anything you want to touch on towards the end of that um, that I kind of rambled?
1: No, I mean, I think the 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 biggest thing that I think event producers and directors really just they just really need to be conscious of is you know what is the purpose of my event, and you know the families that ultimately are paying to to come to these events. Um, and keeping those two things in mind, right? You kind of talked about, you know, the, this reset of youth sports and, you know, there's all these, you know, documentaries or, you know, blog posts and podcasts and everything like we're doing that have talked about youth sports and how it's kind of become like a runaway business and people are just, you know, profiting um, and not just profit, but like taking advantage of youth sports and these families uh, for various different reasons and various different uh, you know, ways. But, you know, you know, it's kind of become like a runaway train that I think some families feel trapped and they don't know how to get off the tracks and, you know, pull it back and kind of voice their opinions because everything is just moving so fast. I think this is going to be great for event producers uh, to kind of reset and say, like, do we need to do X, Y, and Z, right? We're trying yeah. to run a, a baseball event and, you know, we just want kids to, to come out and play against teams that they normally don't play against in their league right? Yeah. Does it have to cost, you know, a family $2,000 to attend that event for a weekend?
0: Yeah, I totally agree. I I, I think it's a really good time to survey your people, uh, check out what they know or how they feel. I, I just there's so many good components of that conversation that can be done right now um, mm-hmm. that maybe are, are a lower food chain item in in busy time. So, you know, definitely understanding what's important. I love Um, the purpose of your event. I love that term. I think that's a really great thing to, to talk about. Like if you're an event owner, what is it that you're after? Is it about getting your kids to the next level? If it is, how do you do that? Draw the roadmap. We have other partners that are focused on that in the background right now. And I can't tell you how excited I am to see what they bring out because there's some really cool things that they've already done. And as they've built their business, they haven't had time to take that to scale. And now they do. Now they have that time to get it there. And it's going to be really, really cool to watch them flourish uh, on the post side of this because they're really, really good at what they do. So I'm super excited for what's to come. Um, I'm very excited to see the landscape of good and bad business being done in the next 12 months because um, I've said this to you offline before, but. One of the greatest lessons I've ever been given in my life was in a social psychology class I took during university. And that was when you're in an elevator and you're supposed to be the first one to move, don't and watch how people react around you. (laughs) And it's such a cool lesson because if you just do that in life and watch the things happening around you, the observations you can make and the things you can pick up are unbelievable. And now is one of those elevator times right? The industry as a whole is that elevator. So watch what other people are doing, learn from good and bad, and set a good plan to move through this on your own. So I think that's a great spot to leave it off really philosophical ending for us today. Um, But it's been another episode of Tournament Talk with Sean and Tyler.